And then one of the things that I use a lot that I can get them to embrace what we're trying to do, I educate them on the reticular activating system. I'm like, okay, this is the real thing that's in your brain. And this is something that you program or your environment program. So if you actually feed yourself positive things, then you'll reprogram the reticular activating system to do positive things. Welcome to the Athlete EQ Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Searcy, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Delise Coffey, sports psychologist and mental game coach. In this episode, Dr. Coffey and I speak about the importance of visualization and how mental skills training is a lifestyle. We talk about building confidence using a confidence resume and what kind of commitment it really takes to make it at NBA and WNBA level. And finally, Dr. Coffee inspires us with the Dr. Coffee Foundation for Athletics and Education, dedicated to transforming the lives of student athletes using sports as a foundation. So first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for sitting down and taking the time to do this um, on a Monday afternoon, your time, Monday evening, my time. Um, I really appreciate you taking some time out to talk about what I believe is a really important subject to the both of us, actually. But thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I want to start off. Tell me a little bit about your background. And, you know, when I say you're a sports psychologist, like that's not the whole picture. So tell me, tell everybody a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now. Okay, my background in sports education wise, I started out in clinical psychology. So I went to college and I got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in clinical psychology. And I practiced for a little over two decades just doing clinical psychology work. And what I would find in my clinical practice, I would have athletes coming in with clinical issues, but their clinical issues was also interfering with their performance. So at that particular time, in my career, I was only working on the clinical part of things, having to get over the clinical issues so they could perform better. You mean, when you say clinical, you mean like depression, anxiety, those kinds of things? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Those things, the depression, the anxiety, uh, and then maybe some family issues, behavior problems, if they was having like a wife or girlfriend, those type of issues. Okay. So that would fall more under the clinical umbrella. But here again, although it's under the clinical umbrella, it still affects their performance because yep. they're distracted. Yep. So I did that for a little over two decades. And then I got to the point where, you know, I wanted to do something different. I love what I was doing, but anytime you do anything for a long period of time, you just want to do something different. Yep. (laughs) I just kind of went like extremely different. I I started just kind of doing things, trying to find the next thing. I I developed a product line. I wrote some workbooks and then just kind of doing things. But every time I did something, I came back to psychology. But I was convinced, okay, no, I want to do something different. Stop bringing me back to psychology. And then uh, my brother is a, is a referee, and he's also a coach. So I was, I was going to his games and watching the girls and, and being a former athlete. I just loved it. So some of the girls on the team, they had issues like, you know, the boyfriend issues, the clinical issues. And just out of fun, well, not it was fun for me, but probably not for them. Yeah. You know, my brother would say, you need to talk to my sister. So it wasn't anything professional. I was just talking to him because I was the coach. So just trying to help him out a little bit. And I found I really enjoyed that. It was just like fun, but I didn't think too much of it. So just kind of researching and reading, I literally stumbled across the words, nursing coach. 
Okay. And it caught my caught my attention. I'm like, hmm, that sounds interesting. So I started reading up on it, and it was like perfect. It's like, oh my goodness, I can work with athletes and still stay in psychology, but a different kind of psychology. Now we're talking sports psychology. We're talking performance psychology. But so, and then my thing was, that's why I kept being pulled back to psychology. You know, somebody up there was trying to tell me something. You you don't need to leave the field. I need you to do something in a different area. So I started reading and researching uh, mental game coaching and uh, being a mental skills coach. And so I got a certification there and I absolutely loved it. So now it's like, wow, I can do both. I can do the clinical part and the performance part. And I actually think that was a a very good combination because now if they come to me with clinical issues, I could get those under control and take it a step further. And now I can teach you how to perform even better. So be having the clinical degree and the sports psychology degree, it was just a perfect match. Being able to do both the clinical part and the sports performance part, it just keeps everything very exciting because Every person that comes through the door is totally different. Yeah. And then the, word, the way I work with the athletes, everything I do is extremely individualized. So that's another thing that keeps it exciting. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I need to find out specifically what's going on with you, which is most of the time, time consuming and challenging because they don't walk in the door and say, hey, this is the problem. What do I need to do? So yeah. that excitement and that challenge. You know, that's what I'm going on. And that's kind of how I got into it and why I'm still into it today. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about what I do is I'm finding, a, you know, with people is it's never the same. And that variety yeah. is great because no day is the same. No session right. with a you know, the same client is the same. They come one day and they're one way and they come the next, you know, two weeks later and like something's happened, you know, so it's never the same. It's never the same. Yes. So true. So when you talk about like the mental game and you talk about teaching mental skills, what do you mean by that? You hear that a lot, but what do you mean when you say that? When I'm working with my clients, I really believe everything starts in the mind. So by having the foundation that everything starts in the mind, I want them to learn how to use their brain to enhance their performance. Like you have a lot of mental skills. Like when we talk about mental skills, we're talking about confidence, composure, goal setting, imagery, pregame routine, and some more. So all of those are our mental skills. Even attitude, that's the mental skills. So what I do... I think it's important for them to have a clear picture of what they want to do or just have a clear vision of what they want to do. Because most people say, I want to get better. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is better? Because my better is different from your better. So let's, let's break that down. Let's get a clear vision in your mind of what better looks like for you. So once we kind of get that clear image of what they want the results to be, then I can start working on the areas that they need to work on. So they may want, they may have this clear vision that they want to be a professional player. Okay, now they're in high school. Let's break that down. What do we need to do first? Who? Well, the coach say every time you come to practice, you're always talking back to him. You're always getting in a fuss with the players. So that tells me we might need to work on attitude. Because if you want to be a professional player, 
they're looking for coachable people. Yeah. And the way the coach describe you, uh, not so much. Yeah. So we may, we may need to work on attitude first. Or it could be a situation where they know they're, they're working hard, they're training hard, they know they want to be a professional athlete here again in college, but they're just working hard. They're doing everything the coach is saying, they're eating right, and they're just doing it, doing it, doing it, but they have no direction. Then they're not measuring their progress and they don't know if they're getting better. So that tells me, okay, we need to work on goal setting. That's Mm -hmm. another skill that they need to work on. So there's 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 about 15 different mental skills that I actually work with and doing an assessment to see where the person is will kind of tell me what they need to work on. But I no matter what I do. I believe everything starts in the mind. We need to get a clear vision of what you want the results to be. And then we go back and see where we need to work. And when you say you need a detailed vision, so I rode horses professionally and I, you know, I would know, I would memorize my route that I needed to do, but I would never like go through and visualize myself like I was doing it. So the first time I did it was on the horse, you know, I never saw it before I actually did it. And that was something that if I could go back and change that, I would. And I've always wanted to ask, when you say visualize what you're about, what you need to do, visualize the skills that you need, to what detail? Second by second, like how much detail are these visions in this, what do you want to your future to look like? How much detail do you need? Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be very detailed. What I like to do is to have them to do an imagery strip. So let me just back up a little bit. Okay. We have, we have visualization, we have imagery, and we have a tendency to use them inexchangeable, and, that, and that's totally fine because we can do that. And what I like to do is just to separate it just a little bit. When we talk about visualizing, we're talking about all the things that you just said, and that's the perfect way to do it. And when we talk about imagery, we want to start adding all the five senses to it. So we want to start uh, tasting it, feeling it, smelling it. So all the senses want to ingrain that, put that into it too, and even the movement part. Mm. So that's making the visualization even better. So with imagery, you know, just using everything. So what what I what I like to have them to do is an imagery strip. And basically an imagery strip is having them to write it down in every single detail, step by step by step. And the reason I like them to do that, most of the players are already good and they can already do what they need to do, but they want to get better. But they have the foundation down to the they have the foundation down pretty good, just hard to see how to improve what you can already do. So if they write it down step by step and then having a person to analyze it, and then this actually worked better if I don't have knowledge in the sport. Hmm. So if I have knowledge in sport, then I have to work harder because here again, I'm seeing it through a lens that I know how to do it. But if I don't have knowledge in the sport, they have to literally explain it to me. Yeah. So if they write something down, I like to be able to read their script and be able to do it in my head and articulate it back to them. And see, when I articulate it back to them, they're telling me, no, that's not what you do. Well, you didn't write that in there. Uh Let's write that down. 
So that's also helping them to get more detailed and more specific and fine tuning and, be, and being able to tweak it. Because most of the time when players or athletes or in any profession, they need to get better. It's more a tweak. It's not a big thing. It's just it's just a tweak. And then to get that tweak, that's when you have to fine tune it. So I find the imagery strips to be very, very helpful. And then the more they write it down, subconsciously, they're still ingraining it in their mind. Absolutely. Because our brains don't know the difference. That's one of the things I always tell clients. I'm like, if you're imagining it over and over, your brain does not know any different. That's right. That's why visualization works. Exactly. Exactly. That is so true. And that's another thing that I'm finding myself doing more of is education. And mm-hmm. I'm finding when I fully educate, educate my clients, they embrace what I'm saying more because like, no, I'm not making enough up, you guys. <laughs> this is real. Yeah. This is backed by research and science for decades and decades and decades. And then one of the things that I use a lot that I can get them to embrace what we're trying to do, I educate them on the reticular activating system. I'm like, okay, this is the real thing that's in your brain. And this is something that you program or your environment program. So if you actually feed yourself positive things, then you reprogram the reticular activating system to do positive things. And then if you're feeding it negative things, guess what happens? So once I kind of explain that to them and then really show them that this is science, this is a part in your brain, then they'd be like, oh, so I can really do that for real? For real? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So let's kind of make sure this script is good and then make sure you practice over and over and over again because you're actually what we're doing is retraining the brain. to Do what you want it to do. Yeah, Exactly. I have, I have athletes come to me and say, okay, I'm in the, you know, off season. I've got to get ready. Fix me before this, before the season starts. <laughs> like this is not a go on a eight week retreat and you're fixed thing. Right. This is, we are re we are, I always say we're training your brain mm-hmm. and this, th- that eight weeks that we talk about, that's the minimum amount of time to train your brain. And then the rest of it is maintaining it. There's no, you know, go, you're fixed. And then you never have to worry it again. You got to think about your mental mindset at the same way you do about like your physical training. It's a lifestyle. Exactly. Exactly. Because if you then I I like to tell them, yeah, yeah, you, you, you train physically every day. You must train your brain every day. (laughs) The two go together. Two go together. I always wonder. When is it too young to start training your brain? Like in the UK, so I'm American, but I live in the United Kingdom. And we have, and this is not a basketball thing, but this is just a athlete thing. Some of the sports here, they're recruiting kids as young as five or six years old into not what a professional contracts, but they're, they're playing for these huge soccer clubs, you know, at five or six years old. And it always makes me wonder, we start to, of course, skills train at that age, sure. But when is too young to mental skills train? From a, that's, that's, that's a tough question to me because I have my personal opinion, which is not backed by research, but I'm sticking to it. But from a neurological standpoint, the younger you are, the easier it is to learn things. 
and to retain that information. So when you ask what's too young, from a neurological standpoint, one would think the younger the better. My personal opinion is that five, six, seven, before junior high school, I think is too young. And the reason I think it's too young, at that age, you should be having fun. Okay. You should be enjoying the sport. And when you're trying to train the brain, it requires some level of practice. It requires some level of attention and it requires, requires some level of uh, accountability. And those things are challenging for young kids because they want to just play, 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 play. So now you're having a kid that you're putting this adult like, and I say that loosely, structure on them. And they're not having fun. They're just doing it. Will it make them great Olympic athletes? Absolutely. But personally, I think at that age, they should have fun. And the reason I think they should have fun, not fun, and I actually think it will also make them better athletes. If they're having fun and they're enjoying the sport, they're going to stick with it. I want to talk about confidence. I have something that I use uh, this term, the bubble of belief. And the bubble is literally a bubble. Like an inside the bubble, you believe in yourself and everything is magic and you're on form and then outside the bubble, it's not. And the bubble is literally a bubble. It can pop and it can form just as easily. And is there, how do you find you can help athletes maintain that idea of, you know, their confidence bubble? How do you help them? you know, find their confidence when they've lost it. So when they're outside that bubble and how do they maintain it when they're inside it? Now, once they get outside of the bubble, one of the things that I like for them to do is a confidence resume. Mm. And basically what this is, is for them to identify all the accomplishments they've had in their whole athletic career. And most of these kids, they do start young. They start maybe eight, nine. So if they're in high school now, that's a lot of time. So when they start writing down, okay, when I was in in the third grade, I did this. When I was in the fifth grade, I did this. It ends up being a very long list. And they don't realize how much they have accomplished during that time. So having them to do a confidence resume so they can really look back and say, wow, you know, I have done some things. And then I process that with you. How did you feel when you won that award? How did you feel when you won that award? So bringing back that feeling also bring back their confidence and then letting them know, you know, if you did it then, you can do it again. You just need to make new goals. Yeah. So once they get back in the in the bubble, once they identify the goals with, uh, you know, a time limit, process goals and things that they can measure in little increments and make little small progress, that's how they would maintain it. And another thing that I find out with my athletes, their goals are too big. So they're trying to go from point A to point Z and that doesn't work. So I teach them how to go from point A to point B. And then the thing that I like to do is when you go from point A to point B, celebrate, take some time to celebrate. You've accomplished this goal. You made it to point B. And then after you finish celebrating and just kind of loving on yourself, go from point B to point C and then happen to see you go A, B, C, D, you know, sooner or later you're going to get to Z, which is where you want to go. And that's, some, that's something that is very difficult for them because that's not how they think to begin with. Wow. But if they're making these little process goals and having these little victories, then they're going to be excited, excited, excited. So that's how they maintain or that's how you maintain your confidence. Yeah, that relates to something that I 
treats not the right word, but work on um, what I call like hyperachieverism or hyperachiever syndrome. It's that like you set this and nor you, you set this, I got to get to Z goal. But the minute like you start to get one, you start to get off the path of getting to Z, like, I don't know, things like COVID happens or, you know, and school shuts down or, and you don't get to play or you don't get to practice. Gyms are closed. You can't go and do your workouts and things like that. It can cause like the path suddenly becomes unclear and can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. But also it's like, I have to get to Z. I have to accomplish this goal. And my entire identity, my entire feeling of self-worth is tied to getting to mm-hmm. that goal. And what happens if I don't make it? How do you help athletes that aren't making it? Because the truth is, a lot of them don't. Most of them don't. Not to that level that they set when they're, you know, nine or 10 and they want to be an Olympian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then my first question is, what happens if you do make it? So, you know, let's get excited first. You know, we're not going to start out depressed. <laughs> so, well, if I make it, you know, I can I can help my mom. I can do this. I can do that. I'm like, awesome. OK, now what do we need to do? So here again, setting realistic goals. So once we set realistic goals, even if the goal is to be an Olympian, that's not to say they can't be. But be clear of the path and the commitment that you have to make. So once you get so far in this this commitment process, you may get to a point where there are some things because of whatever reasons you can't do it. And then in some cases, it is just a matter of hard work. And then the question becomes, are you willing to put in the time? Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to put in the time, I can get you there. Because you can tell if a person is a superstar or not. You could tell, <laughs> but it's like you, you, you this is not going to be an easy road and this is what you're going to have to do. And then it comes down to making that commitment. And if you can get a commitment, 100 percent, and I tell my athletes, I need 100 percent commitment. Ninety nine and a half won't do. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. 100%. So that's kind of how I have to deal with that and 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 never busting anybody's dream but helping them see to see the reality of getting there. And then even if it's a situation where I think differently, I don't post my thinking on them. I still let them know what they need to do to get there. Like, let's say I had another, you know, I had a Delise and she wanted to be a gymnast. I would not tell her you can't be a gymnast because your body would not move like that. I would say, this is what professional gymnasts do. This is how they move. Let's see if you can do that. Hmm. Then she'll try. Okay. And that's not quite right. That's not quite right. This is what you need to do to do that. And let her come up with that. Because there's always the case that I could be wrong. So I'm never going to question about anybody's dream, but I'm going to be real about it. I think the worst thing we can do is give them false hope. Because what that does, it creates more problems down the road. You said, you said, now they're angry. And it's going to be difficult to get away from that anger because it's nothing you can do because you did say it. Then that anger starts eating them up on the inside. Then it starts festering into other things. So they really start going this downward spiral, which crossed over to the clinical side of the problem. Yeah. And that's part of I was talking when I was talking earlier about the, you know, recruiting the kids so, so young. I mean, they've mm-hmm. come up their whole life with this pressure that they're going to be a professional player. Um, and 
with this idea that, you know, they're going to be a superstar. They're being compared to, you know, basketball terms are being compared to the next Michael Jordan or Steph Curry or whoever and being told that and they they get that in their head and then it doesn't go it doesn't work out that way. How do you and I have noticed with um some of my clients the the tendency to when you talk about the tough stuff, when you try and bring up, well, how does that make you feel? Uh, talk about the, t- the the hard thing, the fact that I'm not getting where I want to. They just, the response I get all the time is, oh, well, I try not to think about it. I don't want to, I don't want, like, they don't want to even dip their toe in this potentially negative area. What are your thoughts on uh, exploring anger, fear, things like that in terms of how helpful is it in terms of mindset or is it positive vibes only? Exactly. And here again, it goes back to goals. With me, it goes back to goals because no matter what you do, there's a process to getting there. So if I set my goal and my goal is Z, what do we need to do to get to Z? You need to do your 10,000 hours before you can even think about it. And then are you willing to do it? So it's, it's being honest with them and it's sharing with them exactly what needs to be done and then kind of showing them what other people are doing in the field that's up there. Because whatever they're doing, you know, success leaves clues. So if you want to be the next Billie Jean King, well, yes, she did start young and she played tennis 16 hours a day, you know. Can you play in a 16 hours a day to be that good? You know, so that sort of thing. And then some people, if if they set the goal and you help them make these realistic process goals, they can see themselves making progress. And then once they get to a point where it's like, you know, I've been working on this for a month now. I've done everything that you told me to do. I've been eating right. I've been training eight hours a day. I've been da 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 da. And for some reason, I'm just not getting it. And then they, they've done all the mental work. They've done all the physical work. Then sometimes just helping them to see the reality of the situation. So and then but but helping them see it in a manner that it won't crush them. Let's talk specifically about basketball. This season of my podcast is all about the sport of basketball. Is there a skill that's specifically set for basketball players, like a set of mental skills for basketball players? Or is there just like a general list that all players need? Or you think basketball maybe has a few that are like, this one is more important than it is in maybe other sports, for example? Yeah, for basketball, I think all of the skills are relevant. They're, they're like I shared with you before, there's about 15 mental skills and all of them are relevant. But what happens, not everybody needs to work on all of them because in some areas, people may already be good. Like a person may not have any issues with composure. So if they already have composure under control, there's no need for us to work on composure. And then a lot of players don't need to be motivated because they have their hyped up music and they can kind of get motivated before a game. So it goes back to finding out where they're not mentally strong and then wherever they're not mentally strong, that's where we focus. And then with uh, the basketball players, even in general, 
what I like to do is make sure they have a good pregame routine. Because sometimes, like let's say I come in in the middle of the season. Okay, if I'm coming in in the middle of the season, I really don't have time to do all the lead work and all the work that I, I would normally like to do, like the assessment and gathering all the information. I don't have time to do that. So just the kind of shortcut that I know works for everybody, uh, one of those generic things that I can put in place is a good pregame routine. Yeah. Because what the pregame routine would do for the player, it would kind of put everything that they're already doing in a systematic, logical sequence so it can enhance their performance. So now they can come to me and I can say, okay, in a group setting or a team setting, everybody write down what you do before the games. So everybody write down what they do before the games. And then I can tell them quickly, okay, do this differently, do that differently. Okay. You can't go to McDonald's before a game. That's too heavy on your stomach. Have a light meal. You know? All right. You can't stay up to one o'clock in the morning. Go to bed earlier. So I can do those things quickly because it's the middle of the season and we need to keep going. Yeah. And then once they get that pregame routine, that's just kind of putting a Band-Aid on it. Uh, 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 and sometimes a Band-Aid is okay because if that's all you have time to do, then you do what you have to do. Yeah. And what I would like to do is after the season is over with, you know, make sure I follow up and say, hey, you know, you guys did a great job, but let's see how we can do it better. And then that's when I would backtrack and do some of the other things. And another other thing for my basketball players and generics that works for everyone is the imagery. Mm -hmm. uh, the imagery, it works because you can do what you're doing now and you can get better at it. So the three things is three mental skills that I like to use with my basketball players if I have to kind of do something quickly. And that's the, the imagery, the goal setting, and the pregame routines. So I can do that on a general sense, and they can still make progress. And then when time allows, I can deep dive and be more specific and more individualized to help them elevate their game even more. Yeah, I think, you know, when you come into an athlete's life, if you could say it that way, really dictates how you have to work with them. Because like you said, if you come in mid-season, we don't have eight or nine weeks to get them sorted out because in eight or nine weeks, they are, you know, that's eight or nine weeks that they're still struggling. Um, exactly. So, you know, you have to, you do have to be able to get some quick wins, get some, build some confidence up, um, get some routine started. And then, you know, when the season's over, maybe in the, you know, in the off season, that's when you can start to work on, you know, because things like composure, those don't happen. You know, there's no quick fix for composure. You know, that's exactly. a very much, you know, learn over time kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When is it time for somebody to get a mental game coach, a mental skills coach, sports psychologist, you know, for people who are listening and going, hmm, do I need one of those now? That's another, that's another thing that I need in my life. When's the, when's the time? I think the time is right away. As soon as you identify the sport that you want to uh, be in, connect with a, a mental game coach from the start. And the reason I say that mental skills training is about getting the competitive edge over the competition. And what happens with most of our athletes here, again, they're already good. They already know the fundamentals. And most of them are probably average and maybe a little above average. That mental game is going to give you that edge that's going to take you up a notch. 
So the sooner you start training your brain, the better you're going to be at your sport. So another misconception is when you get a mental game coach, something has to be wrong. Oh, that is so not true. That is so not true. It's all about getting the mental edge, getting the competitive edge of your competition. And what we find out in professional sports on the, the Olympic level, the NBA, the WNBA, the only thing that set those players apart is the mental game. Because all of them are super good. All of them are great. I mean, they're Olympians and NBAs and NBAs. And the only thing is who's mentally tougher. Yep. Exactly. So the sooner you can get, you can connect with a mental game coach, the sooner you can get that competitive edge. So I would say right away. I agree. If I had invested in a mental game coach when I was 18 or 19 years old before I turned pro, I would, st- I would probably still be playing my, you know, doing my sport professionally now because utterly, I mean, that is absolutely what ended my career. It wasn't that I got injured. It wasn't that, and the mental stuff made me fall out of love with what I was doing and I didn't want to do it anymore, which is, you know, sad because I've been doing it. Um, I have a picture by my desk of me. I'm probably 18 months old sitting on the back of a horse and, you know, I've been doing it that long and, you know, I love it. I absolutely love it, but it starts to affect your mental health. And that's the last question I want to ask you. Let's, let's talk about the mental health of athletes. Are we doing enough? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a loaded question because (laughs) I want to say yes. And I want to say no, (laughs) but I'm not sure. I think we're doing, I think we're doing as much as we know to do. And I also think we need to do more, uh, especially during this time of the pandemic. Because what happened now during this season is it's so unlike anything that we've ever seen. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows how to affect people. The young kids are looking to the adults and the professionals, and we're trying to figure it out, and we're trying to deal with it as well. So I think it's creating a lot of mental health issues that we're not, we're not aware of on the surface. So that's why I say we need to do more because it's like nobody really knows what to do. I think we're better now. Back in, you know, March, April, May, it was just it was pretty bad. But I think now we're getting a better hold of it. And then the kids, since things are slowly opening back up, it's giving them hope. So this hope is alleviating a lot of the stress and a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the uncertainty for them. So I think at this point. We don't need to let up on the mental health side of things because what I'm thinking is going to happen now that now that things are opening back up, the players are not going to be playing the way they want to play. So now we have a different set of issues. Now they're not playing the way they, they want to play because they haven't been practicing. So they have these high expectations of themselves because they used to do this. They should be able to do this and they're not doing that. So now we have a different set of problems. And then it could also be a situation where the parents are expecting them to be where they, at least where they were and move forward. The probability they might not be where they are. So now you're having this stress coming from the parents that the parents don't realize that they're stressing them. And a lot of the issues is coming from not knowing 
and not being aware of what's going on. Because I don't think anyone is purposely not doing anything. It's just that we're not fully aware of the internal issues that's going on with the athletes. And part of the reasons that we're not fully aware of the internal issues, they're not communicating it to us. And they're not communicating because they don't know what's going on. Yeah. So the mental health part of thing, I think, is is really, really huge right now. And adults and coaches being more proactive and just checking in, even if things look okay, just checking in. Hey, you know, how are things going? (laughs) Did you eat breakfast? (laughs) You know, just anything. And, 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 And coaching a little different during this time because Things are not like they used to be. So coaches being mindful that they need a little more time to get in in practice of things. And one of the things that I think most athletes didn't take advantage of was the mental rehearsal. During this time of total lockdown, a lot of the athletes were not doing mental rehearsal. And I say that because with my athletes, as soon as things kind of shut down, they started missing their sessions. And I'm like, what? No! I'm like, this is the perfect time to do mental rehearsal. Now you have more time now. You don't have any interference. You don't have anywhere to go because, I mean, we're on lockdown. So now is the time to do mental mental rehearsal. So just my clients, they didn't take full advantage of it. Towards the end, they tried to do it. But here again, that was towards the end. Yeah, definitely. I think we all kind of got caught up in the COVID, like what the heck is going on kind of phenomenon. And, you know, we're so suddenly, we're so used to our lives being really busy. You know, you look at student athletes in, you know, universities and stuff, they got practice time, they got to go to class, they got game day, they got study time, they got, you know, some of them, they, you know, they got us be in the gym, they got all this stuff going on. And then all of a sudden for that to just suddenly be gone. I mean, I use the metaphor of, I mean, that is serious whiplash. You've gone Mm -hmm. from going a hundred miles an hour to a dead stop in Mm -hmm. that long. Mm -hmm. And that feels like it's not as easy to, it's easy to say, oh, well, you just have to stop doing everything. It's not that easy. And exactly, exactly. It it resulted in a lot of issues around mental health with, you know, with, with that. You know, especially because they have all this energy. They're so used to being able to burn and now they can't. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it was a a truly hard adjustment. It seemed like something that you would think wouldn't be as hard to take a mental toll on you. But it it really did on some of the athletes. It just kind of really threw them off balance in a big way. Yeah, I totally agree. I wanted to ask you about your foundation. I didn't get to do a lot of research on it before speaking to you, but I want to ask you about it because it seems like a really amazing initiative. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. The D Coffee Foundation for Athletics and Education is a foundation to serve underprivileged athletes to have them get scholarships to go to college. But what we're doing, we're using sport as the platform to change the trajectory of their lives. It's not just about sport. What I found in my research is a lot of organizations give scholarships, but in order for basketball players to be seen and get a scholarship, they have to go to showcase games. So the athletes that we're talking about, they can't afford to get to the showcase games. 
So what my foundation would do, it would support them in the showcase games so they can be seen by the college scouts. Now, not only are we supporting them to be seen by the college scouts to get the, the, get the scholarship, we want to break generational chains of poverty. We want to change the trajectory of their lives so generations to come would not have to live in low income. So we're going to teach them mental skills. And we're also going to teach them entrepreneurship skills. We're going to teach them, you know, about business, the stock market. And then most of them, they have these little side things that they do. And we're going to even teach them how to, you know, change the side hustle into a business where they can make money. And another thing the foundation would do, we're going to follow them through college. So what we're telling them we're not saying that college is the end all be all. College is going to save your life. But we're using college to get them out of that situation quickly because they're already good in sport and they already can qualify for a scholarship. They just can't afford to get to the showcase games. So once we get them out of their environment, we'll open up their minds so they can see that there are other possibilities. And then we're going to start pouring all these positive things into their mind. We're going to start pouring all of these situations in their mind where they can change the way they live. We're going to reprogram that reticular activating system. So then once they get to college, some of them may have a, a, a path to say, okay, yeah, you know, I want to be a doctor. Okay, so you need to continue to go to college. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do that. And then we may have some that say, you know, they may, like a lot of them are just really good in doing hair. So they may say, I want to open up a beauty shop. Okay, so this is what you need to do. So they may not need a four-year degree. We can probably connect them and teach them another path to get there. Mm. And that would be their choice. So the goal is to show them the options and the possibilities so they can pick the best route for them and generations to come. And we're using sport as the platform to get there. Wow, that sounds like a great, great initiative. And I love the vision, this idea of, you know, scholarship and go to college is not the only answer. You know, that's not the only way to change the trajectory of your life. And that's that's exactly what you're leaning into is this idea. There's more than one way to get, you know, out of this systemic poverty that can plague generations. That's That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So we're excited about it. Uh, My brother and I, we did this out of our pocket years ago, uh, almost about 15 years ago. So here again, I know how to work, but when we did it before, we just did it with our community and our friends, you know, our little teeny circle. But I'm like, uh, where he lives, my hometown is one place and then I live in another place. So it's like, you know what? I'm seeing the same thing here because I worked at a high school. And a lot of those girls, they didn't go to college because they couldn't afford college, nor could they afford to be on a traveling team. Those traveling showcase games teams are expensive. So I'm like, wow, everywhere I go, I'm seeing these talented people that left behind. So I'm like, okay, we have to figure out how to do this so we can help as many people as we possibly can. So that's kind of how all this got started. That's great. That's great. I love it. And I wish you all the luck with it. I really do because thank you so much. Such an important important initiative. It really is. 
I want to say a huge thanks for taking the time to sit down and talk about, you know, something that you and I uh, enjoy talking about. We could probably make this a two, three hour thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> talking about, you know, mental skills and, you know, changing, you know, training your brain to, to peak performance, but also to just life skills are not just about your sport. They're about your life. And, exactly. you know, we're talking about changing people's lives here, not just athlete. Um, so I really want to say huge thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I can, I'm like you. I can talk about this for hours and hours. You know? <laughs> so I really appreciate you having me. You've been listening to the Athlete EQ podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us. Please make sure you take time to download and rate this episode and share it with someone. If you like what you heard, don't hesitate to go back and listen to our previous episodes. Please also subscribe for future episodes. And one last thing, we'd love to hear what you think. If you have some feedback for us, send us a message at aeqpodcast.feedback at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode.